get started tonight, I'm going to ask Elizabeth and Kalo are going to be passing out some white envelopes. Ask that you keep them closed. And if you're in the program here, I just ask that you just let let them pass by. Um, we'll get to them in a little bit. Let's open in prayer. Lord Jesus, we come to you. We just, um, Lord, we just thank you that being close and intimate with you is not dependent on our goodness. It's not about us. It's about you and your goodness. And you've done it. You bridged the gap. Lord, we come with just overwhelming thanksgiving for the gift of being able to enter into your presence, Lord. We thank you that your heart towards us is good. And so, Lord, we just ask you to send your Holy Spirit now, Lord, that you would come in power. Lord, and that your will will be done during this time. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Californian Bill Helco was thrilled when he had the winning numbers in the local lottery. The first prize being $412,000. He straight away went and ordered a Porsche, booked a family holiday in Hawaii, and had a champagne dinner with his wife and friends at an expensive Hollywood restaurant. When he went to pick up his winnings, he found that 9,097 other people had also had the winning numbers and picked up his share of the jackpot, which was $45. Another man rushed into his house and yelled to his wife, Susan, pack your things. I just won the national lottery. She said, brilliant. Shall I pack for warm weather or cold? He says, I don't care as long as you're out by noon. (laughs) Whether we like to admit it or not, that was a little delayed reaction. Whether we like to admit it or not, Each of us in this room, we all play the lottery. Willing to gamble for the promise of happiness or peace or security or value. Willing to gamble for the promise of life. For some of us, the gambles work. For some of it, it's relationships. For some of us, it's sex, or drugs, or alcohol, or education. For some of us, it's religion. But regardless of where we go looking, we're all willing, all of us, are willing to pay something, whether it's a dollar or our heart, for the hope of life. The promise of something better and for more than where we are now. The costs vary as do the places where we roll the dice. But we're all looking for the same thing. Life. I want to encourage anybody who wasn't here this morning, um, Tom spoke this morning on repentance. And it's probably one of the most um, outstanding talks I've ever heard on it. Where he really removed a lot of the religious baggage and damage that's been done to that word. And so as we lead into this time, let's go into the New Testament. And Jesus is going around saying, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And, and so we have this thing, okay, what is the kingdom of God? What does that look like? And so if Jesus goes through a series of parables where he describes the kingdom of God. And so tonight, we're going to kind of unpack 
two of those parables. In Matthew 13, 44 through 46, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. It says again, and he's saying, I'm connecting, Jesus is saying, I'm connecting these two. They're together. He says again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. So here we have two stories of found treasure. One man, the text goes through to tell the first man who's digging the field, he's a common laborer working in another man's field. And as he is going about his daily deal, he stumbles across a treasure. And Jesus says, he hides it, he covers it back up. The reason he covered it back up, because back in Hebrew law, if I was working on another man's land and found something and removed it, picked it, physically picked it up, it became the owner of that land. The owner of the land had, that, had rights to that. And so he recognizes, he sees this common laborer, he sees this treasure that's been buried. And he just uncovers while he's going along his daily duty, his daily activities. And so he covers it back up. And it says, in his joy at recognizing the value of what he had just found, he goes and sells everything and buys the land. So that's story number one. The second is of a pearl merchant who's been searching. He says he's been looking for fine pearls. It is his job. He has been, it's his job, it's his occupation to search for pearls. That's what he does. And so he comes across this pearl of great value. And in recognizing its value, he goes away and sells everything he has to possess that pearl. So we have two stories of two men finding treasure. One stumbles across it. One has sought it out. In both cases, the men recognize the value of what they found. And they make a choice willingly and joyfully to give what they have to possess it. Having the treasure wasn't based on their worth. It wasn't based on their goodness or their merit. It was based on their willingness. Both gave all they had, and it was enough. As I was reading through this, it struck me, here's a common laborer who finds his treasure. And he goes and sells everything he has, and it's enough to buy the land. The pearl merchant who he deals in the expensive, he goes and sells everything he has, and he can buy the pearl. That makes more sense to me, doesn't it? I mean, that the pearl merchant who deals in fine pearls can afford the great value, the, the pearl of great value. But you have this laborer who gives everything he has, and it's enough to buy the land. What Jesus is saying is this. Everyone, whether you've grown up in the church, whether you, you know, back in that time, if you were a Jew or a Gentile, he's saying the kingdom of God has come. You can have access to it. It can be yours. It's worth everything you'll ever have. 
why, why is it worth that much? Because it bridges the gap. It brings us first and foremost back into relationship with the Father, the source of life. There's healing in the kingdom of God. There's freedom. There's life. There's what we're all longing for. I mean, how many of us walked in the, 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 the doors tonight after the insanity of the holiday season dragging? The line probably forms to the right, starting here. Me. He's saying you can have life. The kingdom of God is life, abundant life, and you can have it now. It only costs you one thing. All of you. And all of you is enough. The issue is this. that Supposedly Christ is offering us a treasure beyond worth that we can have now. Healing, freedom, sight for the blind, peace, rest, life. What would you give for it? Regardless of whether you're a student, you're here in the program, you're in your career, the cost of obtaining the kingdom of God in your life will look different. As I went back through scripture, it's interesting to see how the costs differed for people throughout the New Testament as Jesus interacted with them. In Matthew 19, there's a rich young ruler who says, I've kept all your law since my youth. And it says Jesus looked at him and loved him. He said, if you want to follow me, then go and sell everything and come follow. So for him, the price was, the, the price for the buried treasure, the price for the great pearl was all his material belongings. In John 4, when Jesus meets the Samaritan at Jacob's well, and he knows the series of husbands that she's had and the relationship she's in now. For her, it meant leaving her life of going from one relationship, one man to another to another, looking for life and value and fulfillment. In John 8, for the woman caught in adultery, Jesus says, go and sin no more. He says, leave behind all the sexual junk. You don't have to go there. You're not going to find life there anyways. It almost brought you death. So go, leave it behind. For the Pharisees, it meant leaving behind religion. Jesus says, you, you know the scriptures, but you miss me. For them, it meant giving up control and legalism and judgment and performance and their ability to please God. For Peter, Andrew, James, and John, it meant leaving their jobs and their families. Later in Peter's story, it meant Peter giving up his pride and fear after denying Jesus and humbling himself. So the price varies. I mean, throughout the Old Testament, I mean, Jesus doesn't tell everyone to follow him. There's some he says after he... Go, tell the people in your town. I mean, there's just, the, the New Testament is a consecutive series of stories of, uni of unique journeys with God. 
So the question is tonight, what are you willing to give? What would you be willing to give for this promise of life? And you also have to ask yourself your question, where are you in the journey? Where are you in this, this, this parable? Are you tilling the field, doing your own thing? Or have you been searching? Are you here tonight because you're looking for something, but you haven't found it yet? Or is it, are you here on a whim? You came with a friend. You've just been going about life as normal, looking ahead saying, when I get this job, this relationship, married, kids, money, recovery, whatever it may be, then I'll get there. I'll get to the abundant life part. Here's the thing. If you have nothing to give, it's an easy proposition. I mean, let's start with, you know, if, we, if you've grown up in the church and you go off to college and all of a sudden you're, what you've been told and have been taught as truth is in conflict with the rest of the world, with what you learn. What does that look like? I like purity. I mean, God, I just give you my sexuality. I give you my, my heart, my emotions. Man, that's easy until, until some really hot chick walks through the door. Or you start dating this guy and you go, wow. He's the one. Well, then it becomes a whole different cost, doesn't it? I mean, it's easy to be pure when, you know, you're not thrown in the fire of emotions and relationship. What about money? I mean, if you're, you know, regardless of where you are in life, if, if money is not a thing that's fallen out of your pockets and you're going from paycheck to paycheck, giving, you know, the issue of money may not stand between you and God. It not, may not be a thing that you're unwilling to, to give for the kingdom. What if the cost is those things that give you your value, your security, your identity? What if it costs you that which meets your need? In your envelopes, there's a lottery ticket. Every envelope you, in, that you have is a lottery ticket. The lottery as of today was $10 million. You hold in your hand the potential for freedom. The potential to have anything you want. To go anywhere you want. To do anything you want. The best of everything. What if I promised you that one of these tickets was a $10 million winner? How hard would it be? How difficult would it be to lay that back down? That's some of us. For other people, what's in this envelope is pain or abuse or shame or failure, your pasts, your dreams your passions, your desires. What's in this envelope will be different for each of you. Yeah, the ticket says it's the jackpot's $10 million. But what if in that is your dream to become a lawyer, a doctor, 
to be sober, to be free from porn, to be married, to have kids, to be happy, to be at peace, to be at rest. Christ says he promises us an even bigger treasure than anything that this world has, anything. It's a scary place. You know, human performance is kind of on a continuum from deep, deep, deep sin to great, great, great success. And what happens is, for each of us, some of you have heard me talk about this a little bit, is that until we make the choice of will we embrace the promise of life that Christ offers, we go back and forth on the continuum. Maybe more sin will lessen the pain or fill the need. Maybe more success and achievement. It's a really scary place when you get to both ends. And you go, doesn't work. Nothing works. I'm not whole. I don't feel any better. I'm not fixed. I'm not happy. One of the things that Tom talked about when he was talking about repentance is, you know, that word's been so abused. Uh, and one of the things he had mentioned was that church has to relearn what repentance is. And put it simply, not easily, but simply. Repentance is to turn away from the things that we ground ourselves in or value our identities and turning to God. For the laborer, he turned from his worldly possessions and embraced the treasure. The same with the pearl merchant. In 2 Corinthians 7.10 it says this, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. What godly sorrow looks like is recognizing that everything I try doesn't work. I'm still not happy. I'm still looking, searching, digging. I still haven't found it. It's the recognition of that that goes, it will lead me to turn towards God and what he promises. He promises life. He says it is worth everything that you have, everything that you are, everything you dream of and hope for. It's worth it. leaves no regret. There's two things to that. As you turn and embrace the kingdom of God, what you experience goes, makes you go, I don't regret, regret giving up what I have. I don't regret paying that price. The other aspect of no regret is I look at my past and go, Father, God, see now how you brought me to this place. And I don't regret a day of it. I don't regret a failure of it. A mistake. A loss. I mean, I thought Melanie's testimony was just amazing. I, she said, I now see what the enemy meant for destruction, God has used for good. That's looking back and going, man, where I am now, there's no regret. Some of us may recall Buddy Post, who won $16.2 million in the Pennsylvania State Lottery. In 1988, that was a significant 
sum of money. Post in his mid-50s had been a cook and a carnival worker. Winning that much scratch put Post in the rarefied economic ranks of a software tycoon or a backup NBA center. So you think that Buddy Post would consider himself to be the luckiest echo chamber effect. Man, man, man on the face, face, face of the earth, earth, earth. And yet Buddy Post had nothing but trouble after his jackpot. He started some businesses, including a bar and a used car lot with his siblings. But the businesses failed. In 1991, Post was arguing about business with his stepdaughter's boyfriend. And to scare him off, Post fired a gun into the ceiling. Post was convicted of assault and sentenced to jail for six months to two years. Post hasn't gone to jail because he's been filing appeals, but in retrospect, Post probably would have been better off in jail. Post's landlord claims he was owed half the lottery money, and Post was barred from using any of his winnings. Eventually, the landlady was awarded a third of the take. That would have bummed most people out, but Post, of course, had bigger concerns than a few million bucks. Around the same time, Post's brother, Jeffrey, was plotting to kill Buddy and his wife. It seems Cain wanted to get his hands on the rest of Abel's money. Jeffrey was convicted of the scheme in 1993. Shortly thereafter, Post declared bankruptcy because he was $500,000 in debt, not counting the money he owed for taxes and to lawyers. As I looked and searched the Internet for stories of people who had won the lottery, I found two that were good. There are pages of just nightmare stories about people who had finally gotten the one thing they thought would set them free and make them happy. And the reality of it is, is this. Wherever you've been looking, or if you're here tonight and you've stumbled across the good news, wherever you've been looking, this is the truth. The reality of this world and the pursuit of happiness and life in this world will eventually cost us everything. Everything. Jesus said in Matthew 16, he said, What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Christ asks this question of each of us. I mean, as we enter into the new year, what will we pursue? What will we, what promise will we go after? What life will we take? Will we keep looking? From my personal experience, I'll tell you this, what I believe to be true. Keep looking in the world. You'll get to a place where you go, I want any part of it. Enough. Hurts too much. Too many regrets, too much shame, too much You'll get to a place where you go, man, this deal is not working out. See, the promise is life. The promise is the kingdom of God. It's healing. It's wholeness. Peace. Those are, he said, I came to, to free you, to bring you back to me, to pour out life, to restore the broken places and the years that the locusts have eaten. Just one price. Just one. One simple thing. All of it each of us it will look different it's not a gamble to reach for the promise of Christ it's a reality 
that awaits us if we're willing to step and risk. I'm sure that for both men who had found the buried treasure and the man who had found the pearl of great price, there was probably some fear as they went away, not knowing if it would be there when they came back. If they went away and gave everything away, they sold everything. Probably a little bit out of control for them. Probably a little scary. He says it's worth it. There's a truth about each of us in this room is that you are unique, you are irreplaceable, and that part of what the kingdom of God means for you is that God has prepared something for you. He's called you into something. And you are precious. And his heart's desire is to give you the keys that will allow you to enter into his kingdom. He just wants us, all of us. And God's heart is not when we open our hand and go, you can have it. God's heart is not to rip it from our hand. He wants our willingness to let go of that which keeps us from being able to embrace the kingdom of God. The envelopes, keep them. My encouragement would be don't open them. The lottery not, drawing is not till Wednesday anyways. So between now and Wednesday, think about what's in the envelope for you. Is it money? Shame, fear, doubt? Your past? Your job? Your girlfriend, your boyfriend, sex? What is it? What's in the envelope that keeps you looking for life here on this earth? And between now and Wednesday, answer this question, what will you do with it? Don't stand. There's a reason it's called the good news. Because if we're willing to go for it, what we'll find is that it's worth far greater, far greater than anything could have ever had or have on our own. Let's bow. Holy Spirit, we just ask you to come. Lord, empower us. Lord, that your goodness and that your love and your perfect love would cast out all fear of losing the promise of what this world offers us. Lord, that your love would just move in now. Just come in power.